0: she's sharp pointed and insightful this is spacey on the right on american family radio and urban family talk the time for empty talk is over now arrives the hour of action do not allow anyone to tell you that it cannot be done no challenge can match the heart and fight and spirit of america a new national pride will stir ourselves lift our sights and heal our divisions
1: together we will make america strong again we will make america wealthy again we will make america proud again we will make america safe again and yes together we will make America great again.
0: Now, filling in for Stacy Washington, here's Mickey Addison.
2: Welcome to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm Mickey in for Stacy Washington, and it's great to be with you where, I mean, unless you've been under a rock for the last almost two years, you know that the Mueller report is out and you know... Um, but you've always known that, as Van Jones put it, thank you, Project Veritas, it's a nothing burger. Russian collusion. It's that's that's what it is. That's what we have known that you've got radical leftists, you've got liberals, you've got Democrats who wanted to undermine this presidency and wanted to cast doubt on this president, wanted the American people to um, find a reason to doubt a duly elected uh, president, and, um, and now we know that um, the president has been exonerated. There is no collusion. I mean, you know, this is something that the president and his administration um, have said from the beginning. This is something that discerning and fair-minded Americans um, have known. And this is something that in only hushed tones, though, that liberals and leftists have also known and they have also communicated this among themselves. The aim was to go after President Trump and to go after his administration. And now here we are. 40 FBI agents, 19 lawyers, 28 subpoenas, $25.2 million, 22 months of investigation. And, you know, the expectation was that this president would, um, you know, come out, that eventually he would be indicted, that you'd have more people around him falling. I mean, every week as you followed it, Um, There was new talk that, you know, uh, oh, you know, Donald Trump Jr., he's he's next. He's going to he's going to be next. It's going to be Jared Kushner. He's next. But what we have found is that we have found um, our Justice Department um, wielding a weapon against conservatives. And we found this reflected in this so-called investigation. And the thing, you know, I think so many Americans have tried to process this and try to take it into consideration And I will say this, um, I experienced yesterday a fair amount of anger because when you consider the level of corruption. And we've got to be talking about high level and deep corruption for this to be the narrative for nearly two years here. Right. And you consider the amount of people whose lives were adversely affected by this charade that was Russian collusion. I mean, not only is the president exonerated, but his team is exonerated. His staff is exonerated. Um, there are no more an indictments that are being called for. I mean, this is just incredible that we have found ourselves here. But the president has said this from the beginning. And the president, even last week, he was interviewed by Maria Bartiromo and, you know, he was asked about. Um, the Mueller report and, you know, that it's coming out soon. And how do you feel and all of these things. And one of the things that he said, and I want you to hear it in just a second here. But one of the things that he said is exactly my sentiment. And I think that you would feel this, too, that this should never, ever, ever Happen to another president. Again, this should never happen to an American president should never happen to someone who is seeking public office, because what happens to the American people when things like this go on unabated, when it's not checked, when people don't push back, is that you have actual good people who could be holding public office who don't want to do it because it's not worth it. Like, like, why would good people put themselves in a position to be attacked in a way that this president and his administration and his family have been attacked? They just wouldn't do it. This is clip four, let's roll it.
0: There's so much fake news out there, it's a disgrace. Uh, if you look over the past two years, how many breaking news stories was there about me that turned out to be non-existent? So many of them. How are you gonna get anything done with all of this? Uh, this should never happen to another president. What happened to me, they came up with an excuse for losing an election. This should never happen to another president because most presidents wouldn't be able to take it. I know the politicians, I know the president, I know, I know what we're dealing with. Most people wouldn't be able to take it. Let me tell you something, Maria. What happened to me should never happen to another president of the United States because I, de- I depend on this right here, mine, not other people. Yeah. And what they've done is a fraud. It's a fake. It's a witch hunt. It should never happen to another president.
2: It should never happen to another president. Let me tell you something. I made some observations about this interview that the president did um, with Maria Bartiromo last week ahead of this um, Mueller report coming out. And uh, one of the things that I observe now, I will tell you something as a Christian, I think it is our duty. I think it is our duty, our express duty to make sure that we operate according to a biblical standard. Right. So as a Christian, I think it is instructive for us to say, hey, you know what? That's not godly. That's not biblical. But we also have to be careful that we don't find ourselves In agreement with opposition, those who oppose godliness, those who oppose righteousness. And that's kind of where Christians found themselves in in the wake of the 2016 election. We found ourselves saying, well, you know, the president said something that I don't agree with. I don't think that that's the way that you should say it. The president professes to be a Christian. We should stand up and we should say, you know what, if he's still growing in the Lord, um, we have to acknowledge that. But we don't want to set that as a new standard. That was one of my biggest beefs with people who would say, well, you know what, he's our president and we need to protect him. And so that's just okay. No, that's not just okay. When the president does something that demands that as a Christian, you stand up and say, no, that does not comport with Scripture. Then you stand up and say that. But you don't dogpile because that's what the left wants. You don't dogpile. Right. We've got a lot of people who started out uh, during the primaries. They were never Trumpers. And I understood that. I understood that because there were a lot of people in this field where you say, well, no, I, I think, you know, from a moral standpoint, we're going here and we're looking at this and that's fine. But what I will tell you is that from a biblical standpoint, there is no space left. And I think that this Mueller report makes it. Makes it clear for those people who were still sort of out there waiting and saying, you know, well, man, there's just the smallest amount of doubt. We just don't know. Uh, Now, so now that's done. Now that's done. So that means now that the Trump administration turns its attention toward 2020, as they should, looking for reelection. But I want to comment on something in the wake of all of this. The thing that's most disturbing to me is to see, well, actually, I say most disturbing, you know, all of it's disturbing. All of it is disturbing. All of it is troubling. All of it casts doubt um, and, you know, a shadow over our our federal government. It casts doubt and a shadow over the Justice Department. All of these entities that we actually need to operate with integrity. We actually need them to do well in our culture. we We, we are actually depending on that. And so when that fails, where else do we go? So now you've got liberals, you've got Democrats who are already circling the wagons and they're already saying, well, maybe there was something wrong with Mueller's investigation. Let me tell you why that's a problem. If you take two years, if you spend twenty five point two million dollars, you've got twenty eight hundred subpoenas, 40 FBI agents. And there's a problem with that investigation. Guys, we cannot trust these institutions. Then our culture collapses. We, we can't want that to be true. But you know what? Because of their nearsightedness and because of their thirst for power, you've got Democrats and you've got liberals who are going to pounce on this to find the problem, to find the problem that fits their narrative, even if it costs the stability of our nation, guys. Even if it costs the stability of our nation. Why? Because they're power thirsty because they are committed to destroying this country because they're committed to continuing to pull whatever string is present so that they can unravel the fabric of this country. And what is the role? What is the job of the Christian? What are we supposed to be doing now from that point? Let me say this for the Christian who has found himself or herself in this perpetual place of the never Trumper, always sort of believing um, what comes out. Now I'm not talking about what the president tweets. Like if the president tweets something, he just has to own that. Okay. And Christians should not feel forced or compelled to cover that up. That's what the president said. You know, I want to say out of his own mouth, but with his own fingers. Okay. Then you don't cover that up, but there are lies and there are um, miscommunications that are out daily that Christians are too willing to accept in an attempt to appear more moral or more righteous than the people who are bringing up these objections. So we just run to that. There's no place right now where we are for the never Trumper because the never Trumper Was based off this idea, this notion that he will never be president. I would never vote for him. There are other people in this race that I would vote for. Well, it's over now. He's elected and has been subjected for the last two years to attacks on himself, on his family, on his administration. And so when the Christian is still in the place of the never Trumper, I would say that you are then standing in opposition to what the word says. Now, please hear me clearly. What I am not suggesting is that you must agree with everything that this president says without raising objection. That clearly couldn't be true. Clearly. But to be in the position that you are still saying things, even if it's in your heart and the way that you communicate on social media, that you are saying never Trump, then what you are actually saying is that I am in opposition to God's authority because it is God who installs Kings and deposes them. It's God who puts people in positions of leadership and the Lord by the spirit of God has compelled us to pray for those who are in leadership over us, that we might live peaceful lives. This is pleasing to God. First Timothy chapter two says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for Kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. The Bible says this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So here is my point here. Of course, there will be ad nauseum discussions about what the Democrats will do and what the liberals will do as they circle the wagons. But I think there was something for us to understand and to take into consideration as we consider the president of the United States. He said something in the clip that I played. He said, you know what? He said, I I know what's out there. He said Basically, other politicians would not have been able to withstand what I have stood against. And he's talking about the stability and the strength of his mind. Now, I think because, look, guys, these these are the things that I have prayed about. And these are the things that I have wrestled with, because I'd have a moment where I would commend the president and say, oh, man, this is great. And then he would tweet something and then I go, I disagree with the way you said that. I agree with the principle, but I disagree with the way that you said it, especially as one professing Christianity. We as Bible believing Christians must be able to do that. When you compromise your prophetic voice as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you compromise your prophetic voice, you actually hurt the nation in which you dwell versus helping it. The church is supposed to be salt and light. When you double back or circle the wagons yourself and try to normalize something that is not biblical, you're hurting the nation in which you live. We have to maintain our prophetic voice. But we also have to understand how our leaders lead, how they rule, why they operate the way that they do. And what I hear coming from this president is that his own stability has come largely from the way he has dealt with the attacks that have not ceased since he won the election. I'm not saying that justifies every single way that he's behaved, but it certainly helps us understand. In the end, it is what Van Jones said. Russian collusion, it's a nothing burger. All right, we gotta grab the break. When we come back, Whitney White joins us. We're gonna talk about being vigilant for our kids, being on the front lines as it pertains to their education, what's happening in the public school system, and preserving American history. That is coming up on Stacy on the right, make sure you stay there.
0: Here's Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products.
2: Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use a multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association.
0: Redeem Clean Laundry Products were developed by AFA supporters Len Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as, or better, than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States.
2: The great thing about Redeem Clean is, not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association.
0: For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Visit redeemclean.afastore.net.
1: Hi, I'm Crawford Luritz with a Legacy Moment. The other day I was watching a baseball game on television. As I saw a batter preparing for the pitch, I said to myself, there's no way in the world this guy can hit a baseball with that unorthodox batting stance. Of course, he proved me wrong. I think he got a double up the middle. Some things in life work out in unexpected ways. In fact, don't try to figure out God's ways. He doesn't always go by the script. In Judges chapter 7, there's a classic illustration of this. Gideon had amassed an army to go and fight the Midianites. He was outnumbered with the 32,000 he had. But you know the story. Verse 2 says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. Now therefore come proclaim to the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart to Mount Gilead. So, 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 people remained. But God says, that's still too many. And the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands. This is amazing to me. There are some lessons for us in this text. Number one, God wants all the glory. The second lesson is that God seems to delight in giving the perception of being at a disadvantage. Of course, we know that our great God is never at a disadvantage. Then number three, God wants all to know that he does what he wants to do the way he wants to do it. Now, here's what I want you to remember today. Don't write a script and expect God to follow it. You'll be sorely disappointed. Just listen to him and do it his way. Legacy Moment with Crawford Loritz is produced by Moody Radio.
0: Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
2: Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm Miki and for Stacy, and it's great to be with you. I'm excited to switch to another topic here today, as we um, often are reminded and encouraged to be vigilant and to stand on the front lines as much as we can for our family, to be aware of what's happening in the culture. But what does that really mean? You know, so often we talk about um, holding the line, and we encourage the body of Christ to do that. We talk about protecting our kids. We encourage the body of Christ to do that. But we're all so busy, it's difficult for us to dig deeply into these things. It's difficult for us to keep up with all of the headlines. But I would suggest that there probably are a few headlines that when we take those things and couple them together, we can see that there's a clear attack on the family as God has designed it. And then also on the kids that God, um, blesses within the, the union of, of the marital relationship. And so we want to talk about that today. And my guest is Whitney White, who is a freelance journalist and also a blogger for The Stand here at the American Family Association. And she's also an author, a children's book author. We're going to talk about that, how she finds time to do that on top of homeschooling her three older boys. And she's got a fourth that will be coming up the pike for schooling. Whitney, I don't even know how we're on the air right now. Like, how are we doing this? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This is such, such a blessing to me.
2: Oh, well, I'm excited, you know, because I was reading last week and I came across your most recent blog for The Stand. And I was just reading it and it so grabbed my heart because I was like, man, you know, this is the attitude. And this is sort of the, the the heart of the mom who is, you know, <laughs> sort of like that, that mama bear, like we we see what's going on in the culture. And we see that there is a rabbit culture that is coming after our kids. And the right. title of this blog is Are You Paying Attention? Um, give our listeners a little bit of your background. And, um, and then let's go from there and talk about this recent blog post. And then we'll we'll land on talking about you as an author.
3: Okay. Well, um, my degree is actually in education. And I I never, in my wildest dreams, pictured myself as a homeschool mom. Um, You know, I came through the public education system. I actually went to a really good school with really good, genuine, decent teachers um, Mm -hmm. who really set the bar high. You know, I mean, they did a great job. Uh, They lived. Um, righteously. They weren't perfect people, but they did so so well that, um, you know, as a teenager, I didn't want to do anything in the classroom or out of the classroom or on the ball field or off the ball field that would let them down. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really respected them. And times have changed a lot since then, but they were great people. And so in watching them, I thought, you know, this is great. This is what I want to do. I want to go to college. I want to get my education in education. That way I have the same hours as my children. You know, and that that's, yeah, that's yeah. the thought process of so many teachers out there is this is the best for the family. And so that's what they do. They go and they, they do this so that they can have the same schedules, the same patterns, but times have changed. Times mm-hmm. have changed so greatly. And I could see that from the time that I was in high school until the time that I did my practice teaching. The school that I did my practice teaching, it was so vastly different from where I was educated because mm. here's the main thing. I couldn't tell the difference. I couldn't distinguish between conversations between the adults, the teachers and the students. Wait. Everybody was trying to blend in and be the wow. same. Yeah. And so it was, it was huge. And that's when I started thinking, you know, there is something that is not right about this picture. Um, the, the adult their conversations revolve around their weekend activities. Wow. You know, they, they are addressing the part of the students to gain the students' approval. Um, you know, at, at my school, all the, the teachers dress like mamas. You know, they look like mamas. And now <laughs> these teachers are looking like the students.
2: Wow. And so yeah.
3: Everybody's trying to blend in and be the same and approve of everything and, and, and do the cool thing, not the righteous thing.
2: Yeah, and, and there's no line of authority anymore, no, you know. No, like you, not. yeah, like you Whitney, I I went to public school um and went to public college, university and everything and you know, it never entered my mind um that we would one day homeschool because my my thought was, well, I mean, the Lord saved me and I turned out fine. Like I mean, right. you know, the but the times as you say have completely changed. But continue, you were making some observations. So did you eventually become an educator vocationally?
3: I did. I taught two years in the public school system, and um, I taught uh, developmentally delayed children in Mm -hmm. special education. And so it was a very hard job, but it was a very rewarding job. I really enjoyed it. But as I began to have children, I began to see, you know what? I'm investing so much time in these other children, and somebody else is raising mine. This Mm. is not right. This is not how this is supposed to be. Now, I had the best. Um, caregivers for my children that mm-hmm. i could ever ask for
1: mm-hmm. but
3: it was my job mickey it was my job to raise those kids mm-hmm. and so that weighed so heavily on me and thankfully my husband was so supportive of it absolutely supportive and um he also saw the value in um educating our children because education is discipleship they go hand in hand yes they're not That's separate right. entities they are the same and so you know and and if you go back to the word which is where we should always go back to. That's right. Um, Titus 2 tells us that the women are to train the younger women, and the men are to train the younger men. That's right. And, and we should always be in an act of discipling, whether it be our children when they're in the home, when they're small, mm-hmm. or after, you know, after they get out of our house, we should always reach back and grab a younger woman. And I think that that's where you know, the, the fall of our culture is coming from. We have stopped discipling. You know, we That's get to so right. age and we retire and we think we're done. Yeah. Now it's time to be happy and live for yeah. me. No, ma'am. You and reach the, back and you bring somebody else
2: up. And the body of Christ is suffering as a result of that. What an astute Absolutely. observation you're making that we have so moved away from that. We've moved away from that with our kids. But even um, on a on a bigger picture level, we've moved away from that in the church. We don't see the value of discipleship. And so essentially what we have done, um, no matter how you choose to educate your kids, uh if, you've, if you're not discipling them, you could be giving them reading, writing, and arithmetic. But if you're not discipling them, yeah. then you're giving them something that is temporal. The call to make disciples, to make followers of the Lord Jesus Christ applies to parents. It applies to brothers and sisters in the Lord in the church context, the body of Christ context. And I think you're right in observing that we're missing that. So talk about, you know, as you observe what is now happening. So you were an educator for two years. That's you've, right. you've, Uh, stepped back from that and kind of taken a focus looking at your kids and what it is that the Lord has called you to do with them. As you continue to observe what's happening in the education system and what's happening in our schools today in this country, I mean, are you even more troubled? And I know that you are because I read the blog post, you know, are are we paying attention? And it seems that there's so much of um, an organized attack against our kids that you really can't ignore it.
3: No. You can't. You can't turn a blind eye. And, you know, as a homeschooling parent, it's, um, you know this, it, it's touchy. You don't want to come across as holier-than-thou. We homeschool, That's right. and this is the only way. That's we
2: exactly right.
3: Because there are exceptions. There, there are times when, you know, there are single mothers, single fathers. They've got That's to right. be their kids. You know, that there, mm-hmm. there are exceptions. And you don't want to come across as your way is the only right way. And That's then right. you've got the other side that says, you know, you should, have, you should have your Christian kids in public school. They should, they should go be missionaries. But that's, that's not true oh either. Boy. You know, oh boy. the word says um, <laughs> we are the salt and light. Not we need to go be. Mm-hmm. We, not, we don't need to send our kids to be lab rats. You mm-hmm. know, we don't. We don't have to do that. You don't send a warrior into a war zone and let him be trained there. That's no, you not don't. how that works. You fully right. prepare them and then you send them. And so the value of educating your children is to equip them and to teach them to put on the full armor of God. And I think that that's where our churches are failing to and our families, because, you know, even if even if you are sending your kids to public school and you are a good God-fearing family, are you taking the time at home to teach? Do you have the time to right. teach at home? Because here's the thing. bodie Bauckham's. Um, he made a very bold statement that, you know, children in the public school from K-5 to 12th grade, they have 14,000 seated hours of instruction. That's mm. 14,000 hours they are in the care of someone else listening to somebody else's message, mm-hmm. okay? And do you know how much the average Christian family, do you know how long their spiritual conversations are per week?
2: Thirty. Well, on minutes. average, what is it? 30 minutes. 30
3: minutes. How can you make? It? Wow. How can you disciple your kids and pour into them like you need to in 30 minutes? You know that it's hard. And like I said, homeschooling—I'm not trying to push it and say that my way is the right way. I'm just saying, if you have kids in public school, you better have your heads up and your eyes open. Get off your phones and get in this fight because that's exactly what it is. It is a fight. And if we're not equipping ourselves. In our children, just because we're out of school doesn't mean we stop learning.
2: That's right. And That's right. We
3: we have to keep learning, and so me... we also have to learn how to put on that armor, but teach our children as well. And I think that the problem is we pick and choose our pieces of that armor. <laughs> and the Bible is very specific that you are to put on the full armor of God. And do you know what holds all that together? It's the belt of truth,
1: mm. and that
3: is the component that we're missing in our society. Everybody has their own truth. You know, we don't want to hurt feelings. Right. We don't want to step on toes. We have got to accept everybody. So we fudge a little on the truth and then we have a fallout. And, and don't think for one second, when you put your kids on a school bus or drop them off, that that school is a neutral school.
2: No. And, and let's talk about that for a minute here, because I think that, um, there's a lot that happens sort of it pops here in California. It pops here in New York. It pops here in Houston, mm-hmm. you know. And so what happens is that people sort of look at these in- incidents as as if they are isolated, right? right and they say, right. well, that's not, you know, that's not happening everywhere. But when you start to string them together, you find a consistent move to really rob our kids of their innocence and to grab right. the minds of our children. You string some of those together in your post. Um, in your, your your blog post about you know whether or not parents are paying attention, let's talk a little bit about what you observed and what really caused you a certain level of alarm that you felt you should warn parents.
3: Well, you know, as you and and let me say this real quick, the reason that um, I stumbled across these was because I was in the car and I was listening to American Family Association and mm-hmm. uh, American Family Radio and. I listened to, to two or three different programs about the same thing. And as moms, especially homeschooling moms, um, if you've got multiple kids, it is so hard to, to stay aware of what's going on. It is a fight in itself just to be aware of, of all that's going around you. So surround yourself um, with media that is truthful and with outlets that are, that are speaking truth to you and telling you what is going on. You know, when, you, when you're in the car, that's a great time to just, to just stop and listen, to try to know what's going on there. Your apps for your phone, you know, it's so easy to stay up, but it's a choice that you have to make. We've got to make this choice to stay in the fight. And so as I was driving, I was listening um, to, to several different people, Brian Fisher and um, Janet Medford and um, mm-hmm. different, different people who were all talking about the same issue. And and how important it is that we wake up and that we pay attention. And so, you know, as I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this, here's the thing that's so scary to me. Children are taught um, from the very beginning listen to your authorities, respect your authorities, obey your authorities. Now, when you bring in a man in makeup, and this authority figure, this person who is obviously bigger than these children, he is an yes. authority, he is a, an adult, and he begins to tell these children, you might be in the wrong body. Mm-hmm. You may look like a boy, but you may very well have a girl brain, or you bring in these um, these, the Planned Parenthood groups with curriculums that are just completely inappropriate.
2: Mm-hmm. And they
3: begin to say, you know... Your parents assigned you a, a gender at birth, but you have so many options. You have 70 different options to choose from. Now, my mind cannot comprehend, because my mind only thinks of two.
2: Right. And my mind right.
3: cannot <laughs> comprehend 70. Like, where does this stuff come from? You know, so this, it, it's confusing to me. What do you think is going on in a child's mind?
2: Exactly right. As an exactly adult right. adult
3: is telling them this, they have got to start having questions in their mind and think, huh, you know, Maybe and so Whitney. Is something wrong with
2: me. You string all of these together in the post, which by the way, I will tell our listeners that you can go to AFA.net and click on the stand, and you can find this blog post written by Whitney White, AFA.net. Um, click on the stand and it's entitled, Are You Paying Attention? And so you kind of string these all together. You you stop in Arlington, Virginia, where there was a kindergarten class that was read to by a pro gender. Or transgender man who says that he is a woman, right? So you've got these kindergartners listening to this. And then you stop over in California where you've got all of these different curricula that are beginning in preschool that's being implemented, as you say, by Planned Parenthood, teaching that you've got as many as or up to 70 different genders. And then you go to Texas, you go to Houston, Texas, where we know, and this is outrageous to even think of, but we now know, thanks to um, organizations like mass resistance who are pushing back against what's happening in our public libraries and in our public schools, especially in Texas. Um, But you had a drag queen, um, so-called self-identified drag queen reading um, to preschoolers who we now know was a registered is a registered sex offender. And when you string all of this together we are incredibly busy, but I what I want, and the reason I invited you on, and I'm so glad that we're having this conversation, I want busy moms to take a step back and say, wait a minute, this is not by accident. This is by design.
3: Right. Absolutely. You're exactly right.
2: I tell you what, let's do. Let's grab the break. On the other side of the break, we'll come back. I want to talk about the children's book that you have written and your love for history. And we'll continue to encourage parents and moms who are listening to hold the line, guys. We are almost there, but we're not there yet. So we need to keep holding the line and be vigilant. This is Stacy on the right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm Miki. We'll be right back.
3: This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book, Uncommon Marriage.
1: Lauren and my ideas about marriage and family did not come right away. Some of them came only with great pain. But over time, they've helped us find out who we are. That's not to say we have it all together. Even today, we're still learning.
3: That's right. Tony and I
2: have tried to build an uncommon marriage by following two basic principles staying focused on each other, and letting God lead our marriage. So for better or for worse, we press on side-by-side, committed to each other.
1: And if we continue to trust in God, He'll lead us through whatever life sends our way. And He can do the same in your marriage.
3: Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com.
2: There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or Or an Android, Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called TuneIn. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go.
1: On the Hour of Intercession, we have guests on a regular basis, and sometimes our guests have titles like doctor or pastor, but sometimes they have no title at all.
0: Pastor Joseph Parker of the Hour of Intercession. One powerful truth to recognize is
1: that every believer has a testimony, and they can teach you something about prayer as they share their own personal prayer journey.
0: Listen weekday afternoons at 1 Central here on Urban Family Talk. The Dean's List with Janice Dean.
3: The Dallas Public Library makes today's Dean's List for giving away prom dresses to high school students. High school proms are unforgettable celebrations for teenage students preparing to start the next chapter of their lives. But
1: unfortunately, prom outfits can be pricey. So the library hosted their fairy tale closet program at both of their Texas locations, during which students were encouraged to hunt through
3: racks upon racks of free, new, and gently used formal wear that were all donated by
1: local residents. Melissa Dees is the Communications and Youth Service Administrator and she was overwhelmed with how many people wanted to help.
2: One year there were twins who were both needing a dress and their mom was, you know, kind of frantic about what she was going to do. And they were so grateful to um, receive the dresses that they came back and acted as volunteers. Thank you, Dallas Public Library. You
1: made the Dean's List. Janice Dean, Fox News.
0: Welcome back to Stacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
2: Welcome back. This is Stacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm Miki in for Stacey, and it's great to be with you. Whitney White is my guest, and we're talking about um, as parents just being vigilant and holding the line. Um, We started off talking about the latest blog post that she's written. Are you paying attention? You can find that and read it for yourself. Over at AFA.net, click on the stand and you can read not only that article, but our other articles that Whitney's written. She's a freelance journalist and she's now an author as well. So we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But before we move too far away from what is happening in our public school system and why parents need to remain vigilant, I'm going to tell you something. When I started my journey as a parent, it never entered my mind that um, Will and I would homeschool our kids. In fact, we were missionaries. We were missionaries. And so we believed that we would equip our kids and that our kids would stand against wickedness in their generation and they would turn out okay just as we did. And um, and then they started going to school and then we realized that they weren't ready. We realized that they were not equipped and that they were not trained. And it was the smallest of conversations that they would come home asking us questions about that taught us they were not ready. And I began to feel really grieved that they were being set up to fail if I didn't take a larger role in their lives and really equip them with the gospel. I want to say this. We have a lot of sharp five-year-olds. We have a lot of sharp six-year-olds. We've got some really intelligent seven and eight year olds in the body of Christ. They have made a decision to follow the Lord Jesus, but I got to tell you, For many of us, it's true that our kids at that age are not able to provide a robust defense of the faith. They are not able to stand against the wickedness that comes at them on a regular basis. I want to couple what I'm saying now with a new Barna study that is out that finds that Protestant pastors see school as a negative influence on spiritual formation. This is a new study that's out by the Barna Group, and and it grabbed my attention because I thought this means two things. One of two things, if if not both of them together. This means parents have got to put in the work. If you've got your kid being educated outside of your care, parents have got to put in the work to make sure that they are shoring up their kids and protecting them against this culture. Or you've got to take some drastic steps and you've got to take over educating your kid yourself. Parents all across this country and around the world, by the way, are making this decision. And we're not calling for a mass exodus from schools. But what we are calling for is for parents to realize that the enemy is after the heart and he is after the mind of the next generation of the church. So often we look at our kids and we see them walking around and we're like, oh, look, it's so cute. But let me tell you something. Your kid, when they come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, do not have a Holy Spirit junior living inside of them. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside that kid who gives his heart, his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and submits to the lordship of of Jesus. And so we've got to be protective of that kid as that kid is growing. Here's the information from the Barna Report. And Whitney, I'll just bring you in. You can comment, jump in um, as you hear things that kind of like spark, you know, this provoked you in some way. But this is how the story begins or how the report begins. A majority of Protestant pastors and half of Catholic priests believe that school is a negative negative influence on a child's spiritual development. That's according to a new report by the Barna Group. Barna partnered with a religious think tank named Cardus to interview 650 Protestant and Catholic church leaders uh, last year about spiritual development among the youth. Respondents were asked to rank certain entities regarding whether they had a positive or negative influence on a child's spiritual development. Here were the categories, parents and family, the church, school, Peers and friends. Those are the categories. Now, Christian community and then culture and society, according to their findings. And this came out last week. Sixty five percent of Protestant respondents and 50 percent of Catholic respondents viewed school as a negative influence on a child's spiritual development. I want you to understand this. That means that whether it is admitted publicly or not, chances are. The pastor over the church that you attend believes that school has a negative influence over your kids. If this is not being talked about from the pulpit, why? (laughs) Why? If we are not being called to be vigilant, to help our kids stand, if we are not giving our kids a robust apologetic and defense for the faith, why aren't we doing this? If this is true, chances are you talk with or you're taught by on Sunday morning someone who agrees that the public school system has a negative influence on your child's spiritual development. This should be discussed from the pulpit. This should be discussed over coffee among moms. Dads should be talking about this at the water cooler at work. And maybe there's no longer a water cooler. I don't know what people do. Like, is it coffee pots? Maybe. I don't know. Whitney, but your take on this, when you read this article, what were your thoughts?
3: My first thought is, wow, how evident, you know, how evident it's there. It's in plain writing. You can see it. Why are we missing it? You know, why are we walking around like this is not happening? I think one thing, and we touched on this a little bit before, is parents send their, school, send their kids to school, and they're still trusting. Because we used to be trusting, so we think we still can be trusting. That's and right. So we send them um, very naively, and we think they're going to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic today. No, mm-hmm. that that's not all. Um, and, you know, you may have a school with fantastic teachers, just like I said. And thank God that there are still... Good Christian teachers in those buildings, and we pray for them. Amen. If we need them, we and we need please them stand and continue to hold the line and stand your ground. We need you there. We appreciate you being there. We want yes. you there. But for the parents who send them innocent children um, whose minds can be swayed so easily, you just, you've got to have your eyes open. You've got to know what you're sending your kids into. Essentially, you're sending your kids into a pagan society. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the school wants to claim neutrality, and I said this earlier, but they are not neutral. That's they're right. They're not. They're not neutral. And as Christians, Mickey, we are not to be neutral either. Because That's right. Joshua <laughs> so boldly said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. Now, you tell me, are the schools for Jesus? Are they? They're not. They're not anymore. And they're not neutral. And they can claim neutrality all day long and say that they are, but the fact is that they are not. They want Jesus out of the school, and they want the new ideas to come into the school. And this, um, this is really where, you know, I feel that um, we've got to get back to our history. And this is really the pull for writing this book is because, you know, we send these kids to school, and we say, now you go learn, but, but we think that our learning has stopped. And that's simply not true. And when I look back at the education that I received, and mind you, I did have good school teachers and I did come from a good system, I realized that I didn't value my education. I'm not going to put it off on anybody else. I'll take that on myself. You know, I was um, very sports-oriented, and that's what I wanted to do, and that was my focus. And I didn't, I didn't really learn, Mickey. I mm-hmm. learned what I had to do to take a test. I was trained to take tests. Yes. And I was good at it you know? Mm -hmm. And then I I go and I receive an education to become a teacher, and we are trained a certain way to teach. And so this is a whole discussion for another day, but, you know, as homeschool teachers, we have to totally get the institutionalized thoughts out of our head.
2: Which was difficult, by the way. So that we
3: can decide. (laughs) Because in my mind, you know, I still want to keep progress reports, and, (laughs) you know, I want to document, I want to be done at a certain time and have this much time allotted. You know, that doesn't matter. What matters is, um, what you're putting into your kids' heart. Now, I do value their education, but I think that as children come off the school bus, you know, parents need to be saying, hey, what did you learn today? Let's talk about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, Bodie Backen says the main thing that they're going to say is nothing. You know, right. dig deeper. <laughs> you know, learn more. Try to see what they're learning. You've got to have your eyes open um, and your ears listening because they are confused about a lot of things. Well, let and me say this. sometimes they don't know how to tell you that.
2: That's exactly right. You're spot on with your observation there, Whitney. Because here is the thing it was in the digging deeper that I learned of the types of conversations that my kids were overhearing, that I learned of, you know, sort of what I would see as the attack on the authority of God's word that was happening in small increments in their life. And then you add to that that I was spending three hours reteaching them at the end right. of the evening because I had a certain way that I wanted them to learn these things. That's and right. so I thought, well, why don't I just cut out this eight hour gap here? Why don't I just do it myself? Why don't I just teach them? And you're right. There was a retraining that has to um, has to occur when you start teaching your kids. I tell people this all the time. I am into homeschooling for the sake of discipling my kids. What they learn about reading and math, in as much as it glorifies God, my aim is not that they would become eggheads or that they would, you know, awe inspire or inspire awe in people as they hear them recite all kinds of facts. I'm not in it for that. I'm in it because I see them as the next generation of the church. And we have been tasked with handing our faith down to our kids. And we've got a couple generations here now, maybe more, where we've failed to do that. We have abdicated our role as those disciple makers. And so we've got to get that back. But right. Whitney, I want to make sure that we talk about the book that you've authored and uh, your purpose in that. Can we tell us about the title of it and then give us a little bit of the background, how it came to be?
3: Okay. This is the um, the first installment of the Covenant Creek series uh, published by American Family Studios. And this one is The Mystery of Granddaddy Meek. Now, <clears throat> Granddaddy Meek is a blend of three different very important Um, men are heroes in my life. Granddaddy Meek um, was actually my best friend's granddaddy, but I claimed him as my own. I didn't know any different. And he was actually the one that taught me um, patriotism, but also the love of Jesus, that Mm -hmm. I was not his own, but he adopted me into his family and he loved me like his own. He was the man in my life that showed me the qualities to look for in a husband one day. He he was Mm -hmm. a huge, huge figure, but he took the time to instill patriotism. And, you know, um, if we took a, a trip, it always had something to do with history. He wanted us to be learning, not just entertained. He wanted mm-hmm. us to be learning. But, you know, there was never a time where I stood beside him um, for the the Pledge of Allegiance or um, the National Anthem. that He didn't cry. It meant mm-hmm. something to him. He was a veteran. It meant something to him, and that had a huge impact on me because I thought, you know what? If it means that much to him, it should mean something to me, too. Also, my other... My, my grandfather, he was um, a World War II veteran, and he uh, just had a huge impact on my life. And then the story of Granddaddy Meek, um, his background in, within the book of Iwo Jima, actually comes from a man named Dr. Buford Ushery, who served on Iwo Jima, and his story is just, just incredible to me. And I was so, um, so blessed to be able to sit down with him, and he helped me with this story. Mama D in the story is that is just my grandmother. Through and through, and there's a funny, um, kind of an ironic story. I have written three other books a long time ago, when the, the boys were very small. And they used to travel around and read to, to classrooms and do book signs. And my grandmother always went with me. She was my biggest fan. And um, she told me one morning we were on the way to Jackson and everything was quiet. And just out of the blue, she said, you know what, Whitney? Um, one day you're going to write for America. People are going to know your name." and you're going to write for America, and I laughed it off, and I said, well, I think you're a little partial on your authors." and she said, no, I, I'm not partial. This is what I pray for, and if you use your gifts and talents for the Lord, it'll happen. You're not going to write just locally for friends and family. You'll write for America. Wow. So fast forward some. We never, we never discussed that again, never. Um, she passed away very suddenly. Um, it, it just caught us all by surprise, and so two years after that, I was, in the cemetery, right right there, you know, by her tombstone. And I caught a glimpse of somebody out of the corner of my eye who wouldn't normally be there um, on Memorial Day at their church. And it actually happened to be the senior vice president of AFA, Mr. Buddy Smith. And he walked <laughs> over and he said, Hey, Whit, um, I'd like for you to come into the office. Uh, I got a job for you. I would really like for you to write for children about our American heritage. And as much as I wanted to say no... Right then, I felt such a peace because I knew how faithful my grandmother had been, that her prayers were still being answered Wow, long after her death. And so we uh, we came into the studio, and we we began to throw out ideas and discuss, you know, how will we approach this for children? How will we teach them about their American heritage? And at first, you know, we thought about a light-hearted, just a little picture book, and then the more we prayed about it and we thought about it, I said no. You know, this, this needs to be rooted in the family because this was our command that we would impress these things on our children and we would pass them down and we would teach. And if you go back, you know, to the Old Testament, history is very important to God. Very That's important. right.
2: That's right. He,
3: you know, when Moses, just before Moses was about to die, he stood for hours and gave a complete history lesson to these people. And do you know why? It's because they were the young people. It's because they were the people who did not see the sea part or the rock produce water, you know, when, when God told him to. They didn't see these things. They weren't eyewitnesses. They weren't there firsthand. That's why it's vitally important to teach them diligently so that they believe, so that they um, live according to the word, and so that they pass these things down to their children. And they know history because if you don't know your history, you are destined to repeat it. I mean that's just a, that's the truth of the matter. And so um I think that as we raise kingdom warriors, we've got to teach them to value their history because and then and then you see Joshua as he gives his farewell address, he's telling them, you know, he gives them a whole history lesson. He takes the time to do this because it's important. And and we should. And he keeps telling them So Whitney, for I'm going to
2: I'm going to have to jump in because I don't want our listeners to miss an opportunity to learn more about the mystery of Granddaddy Meek. It's the first installment in the Covenant Creek Kids series. They can go to afastore.net, correct? afastore.net and pick up the children's book, The Mystery of Granddaddy Meek. Man, Whitney, thank you so much. I really appreciate um, what you've shared with us today, especially how this book and this series has come about. Man, praise God for our praying family and praise God that there are godly men and women who continue to hold the line and pass down the faith. We're out of time. That's it for Stacey on the right. We've got one more hour to go, so we'll be right back.